0: Welcome back, everybody, to another edition of Eighteen in Life, the Pac-12 Hoops Podcast. My name is Jeff Newser, along here with my co-host Seth Colin and and a guy whose voice you won't hear, our producer Jeff Collier. And Seth, uh, is, is it too early to proclaim the Colon Jinx after the big, oh man the big to do we made about Oregon State last week, and then uh, uh, they come up here to where you and I live up here in the great state of Washington, and uh, didn't exactly impress in two games,
1: I don't think. Well, I mean, I, I mean, uh, no, as a Husky fan. Um, I guess I feel okay about having jinxed to Oregon State if that's what happened. But, um, you know, on the other hand, I kind of, in the back of my mind, was sort of feeling stupid. But, you know, I don't, there was, you know, the the thing that, that I mean Oregon State's defense was just atrocious, just atrocious, and I don't know, or their performance was atrocious, and I, I don't know if that was just, you know, I mean, they ran into two guys having, who had really good games, two very different players, Tony Roten, the Huskies and Brock Modem for Washington state who both had 26 points against them. And, uh, both kind of had basically really the best games of their career. Um, so I don't know. Uh, I don't know. I think it's a little early. I wouldn't say, Oh, I've changed my mind about Oregon state. They were both close games, but, um, yeah, definitely not. Um, not, I think I'm sure they thought, you know, winning two might've been a little optimistic, but I'm sure they expected to get one up here.
0: Yeah, it was it was interesting. I think, you know, Washington's defense I think deserves a lot of credit for wow. for what they did in that game. I mean, and that's a defense that's been, you know, much maligned uh, throughout this season so far, and I thought they did a really nice job on on Oregon State and they got off to a hot start and then just kept them at arm's length the whole way before kind of doing the mortal combat finish him over the last 3 minutes where uh Oregon State didn't even score. Uh, the game against Washington State was a little a little I guess a little more puzzling. Um, you know, Washington State threw a two-three zone at them, which which mm-hmm. WSU doesn't normally play. They played it a lot last year, so it's not like they're completely unfamiliar with it. But um, you know, in recent weeks, they had really played a, a ball pressure perimeter, ball pressure defense. Um, and Oregon on Thursday night had sort of taken them to the woodshed on that, and uh, really sort of used that over aggressiveness against them and were able to, to cut and get get some really good looks at the basket that that uh, you know they, they sh- probably shouldn't have gotten and and so Oregon State you know comes out and, and you know with their athletes a ball pressure defense by the cooks probably would have been death so mm-hmm. so what they did is they come out in the two three dare them to shoot over it and, and what it really did was it was it was super effective at uh, you know really keeping Cunningham away from the basket. Which uh, you know was was sort of their main goal, I think. Even though he finished with 23 points and did take 11 free throws, um, most of those were in the second half. They were late, especially after Ahmad Stark started just bombing away at threes yeah. to uh, to make the game closer. And so you know did that, and then it also I think I think sort of the less um, you know the the. Sort of less renowned effect was that Joe Burton couldn't get his hands on the ball in the places where he likes to score nearly as much. And uh, I think a very underrated part of their offense is the way that it runs through him. He's an excellent, excellent passer. And uh, I, you know, I saw that against Washington. Um, you know, the the ball really runs through him, and then he finds these other guys, you know, cutting and moving. And and uh, against that two-three zone, they really couldn't figure out a way to get it to him in ways that he could really impact the game. He only finished with. I think three assists and three turnovers. So, um, so you know, it was interesting, and I think you know, I'm not, I'm certainly not ready to pronounce them dead. But one of the things that we talked about was, and you know, it's only two games, but we talked about how it's set up for kind of a fast start. You know, playing in front of sort of a lukewarm crowd in Seattle, playing in front of another quasi lukewarm cloud and crowd in Spokane, and and so had a chance to get a win against a team in Washington that figures to be near the top. This coming weekend, they they host uh, California and Stanford, two other the two other teams who were two and zero this weekend. Um, I don't know, you know, it's if they don't get a sweep this weekend, all of a sudden they're one and three, and that's that's kind of a tremendous hole to dig out of. And you can also see a scenario where, you know, perhaps zero and four is a realistic possibility. So I don't know. I mean, it's a, do you do you do you see them getting a substantial bump from being at home and 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 making a statement? You know, capable of making a statement where they, they they sweep California and Stanford and get right back in this thing.
1: Well, I mean, I definitely see that scenario. I mean, it, you know, they're going to be, I think, a better team at home. Everyone in the Pac-10 is a better team at home. Um, I mean, it, th- their their defensive performance was so bad, you know, and they play man-to-man. So I'm thinking that they're just. You know, it's it's going to be one of those, which it just seems like kind of like an effort and commitment type of thing, where you know they they won all these games and and they come in and and they just you know they just weren't on they were just weren't at the level that they needed to be, uh, to me and I think that they'll I think that they'll probably you'll see a little bit stronger play from them in those two games, um, especially being at home, um, but yeah I mean. It's definitely very easy to see a scenario they fall to 0 and four, but I think they could also potentially, you know, win two games and then, you know, who knows? So, um, I mean, I really think the conference is going to be all mixed up this year, and probably they'll, you know, maybe they'll win one or they'll win two, and in a month they'll they'll be back around the back around the top.
0: Yeah, I really wonder how much. You know, we saw this, I saw this as a, as a wazoo fan, saw this pretty up close a couple of years ago where, um, you know, the Cougars went out and, and beat pretty much everybody in the non-conference schedule and and played really well and played really good defense. And it was like, wow, look at this. And the offense was sort of explosive. And then they got into pack 10 play and, and I think they ended up losing something like, you know, seven of their last nine, or something like that. They end up just falling apart. And you know, I think there was a lesson to be learned there. You know, we got we fans got really excited about the team heading into conference play, and look at all these games they've won. And they are dom—they're dom- not just winning; they're dominating. People. Well, what I sort of learned from that is that you know, sometimes you you have to kind of put it in context and say, all right, you know, you've got this pretty athletic team, right. They're just they're sort of overwhelming people with their athleticism, mm. and that might be masking some of the deficiencies a little bit that might get exposed when you play some stronger competition. And and I'm not yeah. I'm wondering if that might be a little bit of what's going on with Oregon State. And you know something to sort of keep in mind as I'm looking down these Pomeroy numbers. One of the things that that he does that I think is actually kind of cool is he puts these these little numbers next to each um, each game's efficiency that shows where it rated in terms of how the other team has performed all year long. I don't know if that makes sense, but, but think of it this way. So like, for example, you know, he, like for Washington State, they scored 1.13 points per possession. Well, that was their one of their better offensive performances of the year. So he puts a little 12 next to it on the Oregon State page that that was the 12 out of 13, whatever. So as I'm looking up here, well, I look at Howard is a team that's ranked 318th. Well, they put up 0.97 points per possession against Oregon State, which normally you go, okay, that's not terrible. Well, that's 11th. I mean they've had – basically what that means is you know, they've had 10 worse – offensive performances than that against presumably – lighter competition you know you just what you want to see from a dominant defensive team is a lot of like one two three and four next to those numbers you know saying those are like the first second third and fourth lowest offensive outputs by those teams don't see a lot of that i see an eight i see an eight i see a nine i see an 11 i see a 12 and i see a 12 you know as i'm going up and down oregon state and so maybe some of this was sort of already there and we Mm -hmm. didn't really see it um Mm -hmm. i don't know but you know i think and again i think you can get a little bit you know things can get masked a little bit because their offense was so explosive. Let's talk about Washington a little bit. Um, they were one of the teams that I thought. Actually, if if I were to say which team was the most impressive this weekend, I'd probably say Washington. Would you agree?
1: Uh, yeah. Although you know, I think part of it has to do with kind of the low expectations that they created for themselves by being kind of not very good in in non-conference play. And I, I think you know, in Pac-10 play, they really they really, especially on defense. Um, and that was really the key to both of the wins. I mean, you look at the scores and you won't think that, but really, um, uh, their their pressure defense um, and sort of cutting down on turnovers uh, was big. And Tony Roten playing—he's um, just improved so much from the start of the year. Uh, you know, it's kind of scary to think how good he could be by the end of it.
0: Yeah, he's definitely getting scary good, <laughs> and we've, you know, we've, uh, I in particular harped on his, his turnovers and his, you know, inability to sort of understand um, his his role within the game, and and he really has made huge huge strides in that area. And maybe, you know, I think you know Lorenzo Romar gets a lot of, you know, we've talked about this before. He he just seems to get questioned a lot. By fans, considering how much success he's had, and but it is, you know this is sort of typical, right? I mean, he lets them work out the kinks during non-conference play. He's not afraid to to put guys in position to fail, and then they and they grow, and then all of a sudden they they sort of it, it's not that they turn it on, and I think that's what a lot of fans think is that they they somehow flip a switch, and I don't see that. I see a team that develops, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, that you know, if there's anything I've learned watching the Huskies now for under Romar it's that. We, I, friends and friends of mine who say this all the time, it's like, just trust Romar. Like, he knows what he's doing. And every single year, he knows exactly what he's doing. Um, and he, um, for the most part, gets the most out of the team, gets the best out of his players. Um, you know, sometimes you'll see him do things like, well, that doesn't make sense. And, uh, you know, usually it ends up making sense. So, um, yeah, I mean, it, definitely they're, you know, um, just defensively they took some, you know, big lumps. But, uh, you know, they're... They're figuring it out, and and definitely an offense. You know, it's funny they were the announcer of the Oregon State game or the Oregon game. I can't remember which one was saying, "Oh, you know, the Huskies do a really good job of moving without the ball," and that was not something you would have said even like two weeks ago. Right. Um. Uh, but you know, they're. It seems like they're all kind of everything's coming together, and Roten making better decisions, uh, and looking just. I mean. In some cases, there was one play in the, I guess it was the Oregon game, where he um, got the ball um, at one end of the court in transition, drove the length of the court and scored, blowing past like three guys and just laying it in. Um, then he comes back on the other end, and Oregon's about to attempt an open three-pointer, and he comes back and blocks the open three-pointer. It was just crazy, and then gets the ball. Runs, gets the loose ball, saves it in bounds. I mean, it was just an incredible play, um, and you know, you see the kind of impact that someone with his athleticism and you know, he still is not a great shooter, but everything else that he can do, it's, it's pretty amazing. And now that he's cutting down on turnovers, it's like, oh, wow.
0: Well, and the reality is he doesn't have to be a great shooter. No. You know, they've got enough great shooters on that team. I mean, maybe if he's, you know, if we're talking about his NBA prospects or whatever, obviously, you know, at that point, he's probably going to need to be able to shoot capably. But right right now, he just he doesn't need to. And I I think, you know, the thing that struck me watching him is, you know, if he continues to play like that, he's he's the best player in the Pac-12. But I don't know if that's a reasonable expectation out of a freshman to expect him to to play like this or, or to continue. Continue to develop like this. Um, week by week by week. Uh, another impressive team, the, the other two impressive 2-0 and teams uh, were Cal and Stanford. I think I would say they were probably a little bit less impressive than Washington only because Washington was able to, um, I guess, sort of make short... Not, not short work not really the right word, but but you know double-digit victories, able to, to sort of handily win. Uh, not the case for both Cal and Stanford. Cal had sort of a scary moment against USC, which is proving to be one of the terrible teams in the conference and um you know Stanford had the same thing against UCLA so I don't know let's let's maybe talk about Cal first um any thoughts on Cal the game against USC game against UCLA uh
1: I mean no not really <laughs> either of those games yeah. um other than you know I mean I, I think they you know they're I don't, I don't I don't think they were incredibly impressive at least you know I don't know. I like I said. I, you know, they they did blow UCLA out of the water, but you know, Southern Cal's and they and they were leading Southern Cal big. So I mean, I, I think they just you know kind of did what you expect, which is I'm sure exactly what they wanted to do. And um and they're looking in pretty good shape. Stanford on the other hand, which did go 2-0. I didn't see the USC game, but the UCLA game was they were much less impressive. Um, they barely won that game. I mean beating you know they barely won that game, but the their the whole game was just offensively it was just extremely, extremely ugly. Um, they didn't really have they don't really have much of a inside game at all and they couldn't really shoot and it was just it was pretty it was difficult to watch.
0: Yeah, it's uh that that was that was pretty ugly. <laughs> I don't I don't know, I mean, I don't I don't really know any other way to say it. And and I guess I think I think that's going to happen a lot with Stanford. Um, yeah. Their, you know, their defense is very good. Their offense is mediocre, um, and so you know it's it's going to yeah. be a situation where on some nights they're going to be a little it's going to be a little ugly. You know, they're yeah. going to yeah. they're going to not maybe score as much as they should or, or could, and and their defense is going to have to come up big for them as they did at the end. Lazar Jones had a had a shot to potentially win the game, and and the shot gets blocked, and. You Josh Eustace. That. Yes. The
1: so. unknown mystery Josh Eustace with the block, yeah. Um who Lazarus Jones had a good game for UCLA. You know, he's really picked it up since Reeves Nelson left and, and then but then that last play, I mean, he just he just blew it, you know, he drove into the lane and there was nothing there and he decided to go up with a shot anyway, um, with them get, with a chance for the win and and got blocked. Um so, and now, yeah, UCLA 0-2 in Pac-10, and now they're going to play, well, they're home to the Arizona schools. Their home, so-called home games.
0: Yeah, so uh, Ken Pomeroy calls them semi-home games, so yeah. I don't know. I'm guessing that means Anaheim. That'd be my guess. Uh, no, yeah.
1: No? Think, yes? Oh, yeah, maybe? I guess so. Yeah, it must be in Anaheim, yeah. Okay,
0: yeah. So, I don't know. I, I think the thing that, You know that I kind of notice with uh, you know with UCLA is is the defense. You know the defense isn't good. You know because as you look at especially against Cal, it's like you know you look at the box score and you think okay the offense doesn't look terrible and you know Tyler Lamb had you know a ton of points or whatever. But that, that game against Cal, I mean Cal just. It was, you know, I I didn't watch the first half, and I turned on about, you know, a little bit into the second half, and the game was close. And I was kind of doing some other stuff around the house, and so, you know, you, you know, you just kind of kind of peek at the TV every once in a while, and you're just walking around, you're doing this, you're doing that, you peek at the TV, and it was close. And then all of a sudden, you know, I left, and I came back, all of a sudden I peeked at it, and, and Cal was up by like 15, and I was like, whoa, yeah. <laughs> you know, how did that happen? And you know, so I, I rewound the DVR a little bit, and just you know, Cal just went on a clinic, you know, went on a scoring clinic, and UCLA. LA couldn't do anything at all to stop them, and I think that's you know that's going to be sort of a continued issue where um, you know they just they just can't stop anyone when they have to because they just don't possess the kind of um the kind of defensive chops that they used to and 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 you know and the thing is it's i mean this is a recurring thing now i mean this is we're going on three years now of ucla not really being able to play a very good defense and so i um, going to be kind of interesting to see how ben Hallen deals with that the offense has indeed seemed to improve without without reeves nelson but you know the flip side of that is, have they lost um, some toughness on the defensive end? Have they yeah. lost the ability to, to keep people from scoring? And um, you know that's that's I think a legitimate question right now. And and, and speaking of that run I was talking about with Cal, um, that game was uh, 40 to 39 at halftime. Okay, so a one-point game at halftime. By the ten-minute mark, just before the ten-minute mark, it was sixty-four <laughs> forty-five. So, yeah. so Cal Cal went on a uh, a twenty-four to six run to start the second half, and and from there it was just you know it was over.
1: Well, so. that sounds like defense more than I mean, in a way, you know, a lot of defense too. Yeah, I, it you know I mean, I don't know they. uh I, you know, I, was, I haven't seen much of Cal this year. I have to say, I keep just missing them somehow. I've seen a couple of the games, but um, you know, it just seems like they're just kind of—they don't. There's, a, you know, there's no one jumping out at you having like a tremendous year. They're just, yeah. You know, I, I don't know if they've even won any. Uh, I have to double check. I don't know if they've even won any Player of the Week awards, but. Um, no, they have not. No one's won a Player of the Week award for Cal. There's been one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine of them, or eight of them. Yeah. Um, they're not, you know, no one's standing out. They're just playing really good team game, and, I mean, I think this year that might be good enough to win the conference.
0: Well, if there was a runner-up Player of the Week, Award <laughs> it probably yes. would have probably would have gone to Jorge Gutierrez. Yes, um, he I think averaged. I'm, I'm just doing. I wrote down his lines from both games against UCLA or USC at 13.7 rebounds, seven assists, four steals, and then yeah. against UCLA, 16 points, four rebounds, eight assists, two steals. So you know he's doing his Gutierrez thing, having these great all around games. One of the interesting things I noticed about Cal was that, um, and I'm not sure you know i didn't pay that close of attention to him um down the stretch in the non conference season, so i'm not sure exactly when this happened, but at some point, Justin Cobbs um moved into the starting lineup mm-hmm. and and I think that was a really excellent move you know I, as we talked about you know I talked with some people about um about cal and and you know their their future prospects for this season um one of the sort of major weaknesses was that Brandon Smith was going to be their primary ball handler, and he's kind mm-hmm. of an offensive nothing and and all of you know all of that um Cobbs being the transfer came in, gave him some scoring punch off the bench. Well, Montgomery has made the decision to move him into the starting lineup, which I really love uh because you know just they, they i don't think there's you know. Maybe Washington, um, now that Roten is playing the way he is, can match up with them on the perimeter. But the combination of, of Cobb's and Gutierrez and Crab is as good as any in the conference, probably better than anybody other than maybe Washington. And you know that's uh, that, that's a major thing going for them. And I think impressive about what they're doing right now is again they're doing it without Richard Solomon, um, who's still hurt. And uh, when he comes back, that's really going to give them a different dynamic. Really going to give them a boost, I think. And and uh, I guess what I'm trying to say is I still feel pretty good about uh, about saying Cal, I think, is still my conference favorite, I think.
1: As you should. As so, you should.
0: Yeah, what about, uh, let's see, how about Arizona? Now, this is the thing. So Arizona, you know, they only played one game. They played Arizona State, and yet they, they sort of, Manhandled Arizona State. It wasn't. I mean, manhandle is probably not the right word. It was a 17 point win, I think. And you know, it's not like they completely blew their doors off. But at the same time, they handled Arizona State with with ease. Uh, I don't know. Thoughts on Arizona? My my thought is, you know, one of the impressive things about them so far is that, you know, the, their front court was was considered to be a weakness, a problem, um, and and two front court players have actually emerged as as their their impact players and that's Solomon Hill and uh, Jesse Perry. And, and the interesting thing is those two guys, Jesse Perry is six, seven Solomon Hill is six, six, you know, neither one of them are going to overwhelm me with their size, but yet they've, they've proved to be remarkably efficient and very good rebounders um, for guys who are not particularly tall or I guess, super athletic.
1: Yeah. I mean, they, they play, they play really hard and they get, you know, a lot of, uh, I think, you know, they're, they're long. I think they, you know, they tip the ball around and, Um, and they're able to overcome their lack of size, I think just basically with energy and, um, and yeah, Hills had a, had a really good year. He's won two Pac-10 player of the week awards. Um, and, uh, you know, and the other guy on that team, um, that, you know, I sort of had a question about, uh, well, two guys I sort of had questions about, um, Nick Johnson and Josiah Turner, who were their two true freshman guards uh, coming into Pac-10 play. And, I mean, granted, Arizona State isn't the best Pac-10 team they're going to face and definitely doesn't have the best guards they're going to face. But um, but uh, but Johnson, 31 minutes, 14 points, um, you know, one assist, which is not the greatest, but he only had one turnover. So um, I guess he's, you know, maybe more functioning as a shooting guard. and Jordan Mays is more functioning as a point guard for them. So, um yeah, uh, they you know definitely had an impressive win over Arizona State, which continues to look just absolutely terrible. They had 19 turnovers in the game, but I think they had like it was like I checked in and it was like 11 or 12 in the first 10 minutes or something like that. I mean, they just they just don't have a point guard, and uh, and it's it's just really hurting them. I where did I write down this? Of their, the players listed as guards in that game had 15 turnovers and five assists, and that's not the ratio that you
0: want. No, that's pretty gross, actually. <laughs> uh, but they did end up finishing the game with 23% turnovers, which is still high, but yeah, uh, but is not, not, not ridiculous. You know, yeah, so. but I think
1: they dug themselves a hole right away with yeah. the turnovers, and I can imagine that possibly Arizona State kind of, you know, again, I didn't see the game, but I can imagine Arizona State getting up you know, 15, 20 points, and maybe you're not playing the aggressive defense that you might have been earlier. Yeah. Uh, so, um, so, so, yeah. Um, good, good performance by Arizona. And now they go to, it's the Arizona schools at the, the Southern California schools next week. And, um, yes, boy, Arizona could really, you know, could really put UCLA in a nasty position if they were able to, yes, to beat them.
0: Yes, they definitely could. In fact, that's one of the games that that I'm looking forward to this week. And one of one of the things I'm I'm sort of interested in watching a little bit closer with Arizona is, you know, Ken Pomeran and his team page on his team pages does, does sort of this interesting thing. He, he ranks his players not, you know, typically when you go to, um, you know, stat site, they rank the players by how many points per game they're scoring. Right. And we know that, you know, we know Pomeroy issues those kinds of raw stats for rate based stats. But one of the interesting things is that he ranks them by the percentage of possessions that they use when they're on the floor, which is kind of a, a, you know, kind of a rudimentary measure of how much impact a guy is having uh, on the game. The interesting thing about Arizona is, okay, So his top category is go-to guy. His second category is major contributor, and those guys are all above twenty-four percent, twenty-five percent or above of possessions used. Mm-hmm. The third category is significant contributors, twenty to twenty-four percent of possessions used. Arizona has nobody in those top two categories. They've got mm-hmm. five guys in the significant significant contributor category that all use between twenty and twenty-four percent of possessions, and then there's Kyle Fogg who uses nineteen point nine percent, and Jordan May uses nineteen point four percent. So they've got they've got seven guys who use between nineteen point four and twenty three point one percent of possessions which is incredibly balanced and I think that's really sort of interesting that they don't have necessarily a a go-to type guy uh, mm-hmm. on the team that they they're doing this with with sort of like you talked about hustle effort and really kind of buying into this team concept um, which is which to me is is sort of interesting now, I think Solomon Hills Possession percentage has been kind of steadily rising throughout the season, uh, but I don 't know that he's going to elevate into kind of that go to guy category but still it's it's interesting to to look at them and 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 think about that um, Let's maybe look ahead real quick to this weekend. Then you know you mentioned Arizona, UCLA. Um, you know other games that that are sort of interesting for me. Uh, Cal, Oregon State, which I would love to watch, but does not appear to be on television anywhere, or at least as near as I can find, which uh, which is unfortunate because um, I really would like to see Cal and Oregon State play each other. I really would like to see if Oregon State can turn it up a little bit at home and and whether that would uh, you know they can turn their season around a little bit, turn their Pac-12 season around a little bit. Yet. It's not on TV, so um, I don't know. That's an interesting Gosh. one. Anything else that – any other games that sort of stuck out to you? I know that Washington, and Washington State and uh, Colorado and Utah play their little round robin this weekend. And frankly to me, there's there's really nothing interesting there. I don't know.
1: Uh, there's not a lot interesting there. According to the Pac-10 media release, Washington State and Colorado's series uh, uh, is – all-time series is tied at one-to-one. So wow. Washington State could take a uh, huge wow. one-game lead there um, if they won. Yeah, I don't uh, uh, I mean, I think of those games, uh, I think I'll make sure to watch. You know, Stanford. Eh, I don't know. I think Arizona, UCLA is kind of the one game that I want to see of those. I think Cal at Oregon potentially. We didn't really talk say anything about Oregon, um, which which handled Wazoo. Yeah. Yeah, they um, did. really easily, and and then the Huskies kind of blew them out. I mean, Oregon made the score a little closer at the end, but um, you know, Oregon, uh, you know, you know, really, the Huskies forced them to to shoot from the perimeter and and really were covering the perimeter pretty well. So, um, but they're a vet, like a really, they're a veteran team. I would say, even though a lot of those guys haven't been with the program very long, um, but they have these kind of, you know, 50 or senior type of players. Um, and I think they're going to, you know, I, I think they could definitely give Cal trouble, especially at Matt Court. Um, yeah, I think Cal at Oregon and Arizona at UCLA, those are probably the two games.
0: Yeah, and I think that, you know, Oregon's interesting in that they, you know, I'm I'm, I'm just not sure what, <laughs> to make of them, um you know they they were doing okay offensively for about the first half of the non-conference season, and then they played Virginia, and then they just started to fall, sort of seemed to fall apart. They scored .89 points per possession against Virginia, .89 against North Carolina Central, .95 against Prairie View A&M, .92 against Stephen F. Austin. I mean, those are horrible, horrible numbers against pretty mediocre to bad competition, and then all of a sudden they come out against WSU and put up. Great. Thanks, guys. And then they go to Washington and put a 0.86. So, you know, I don't know which is the real thing. I don't know if Thursday against Washington State was the actual thing or if, um, Washington's, you know, going back in the toilet against Washington was the real thing. I'm just, I'm kind of not sure. I know that one thing they did against, you know, like I mentioned against Wazoo is they really used, um, the the pressure on the perimeter against the Cougars, and you know I don't know if if maybe other teams won't make that same mistake again. I don't know. Um, going to be interesting to see. I mean, they're playing two tough defensive teams in Cal and Stanford, so maybe mm-hmm. being at home will help. But uh, going to be interesting to see if their their offense can pull together. They don't have a lot of um, you know you mentioned they sort of washington state took the opposite approach of washington they Mm. they were really scared of of their perimeter game and so they played them real tight on the perimeter with with devo joseph and you know and sort of that aspect of the game and and left the middle kind of wide open for olu ashalu and and ej singler and tony woods and uh, i think washington did even though singler seemed to have a pretty good game um against the huskies you know i think washington took kind of the opposite effect and the opposite strategy and and that seemed to work out because oregon you Know, they've got sort of these athletic big men but they they aren't great at finishing around the basket if, right. if you if you keep them more than two feet away so well
1: the huskies also have aziz and Jai, which that helps, helps you that know helps. I, mean, I think they didn't weren't as scared probably of those guys because you've got the seven foot leaper, you know standing yeah. in the middle um you know and, and that's another thing to point out is that the huskies you know didn't have NGI in the last couple of non-conference games when they looked really bad, especially that loss to South Dakota State where right. Nate Walters was driving to the lane with impunity. Um, now with NGI back, their defense has improved. I don't think that that's coincidental.
0: Yeah, I don't think so either. So, Well, I think that will pretty well, much. Well, I've got two things. I've oh, got, two got two things more things. To- all right. Two more ahead. things to
1: say. First of all, and this is, it goes back to something we talked about earlier in the podcast, but it's sort of a pet peeve of mine, is when people talk about college players not being able to shoot. Um, college players typically can't shoot. And uh, the two examples I always cite are Gary Payton, who his first year in the league, he played t- in, in the NBA. After a four-year college career, played started 82 games with the Sonics, hit one three-pointer. He didn't hit more than 15 three-pointers until his fifth year in the league. And Michael Jordan didn't hit his first year in the league after three years in college shot 17.3% from three point range, at which point he was probably told to stop shooting. And he didn't hit more than 12 three pointers until his fifth year in the league. So people that can't shoot in college, doesn't necessarily mean that they're you know, not going to be able to shoot uh, in the pros. It's usually Correct. like, a, it's a skill you can learn. Uh, on, obviously it's something that people tend to pick up. The second thing is it was very bizarre to have Washington playing uh a, bas- a pretty key basketball game at the exact same time as their bowl game. Yes, UCLA also played their bas- one of their basketball games at the exact same time as a bowl game. And the reason given was that Fox Sports, or Root Sports, excuse me, wouldn't change the time. Now, if I'm an advertiser on Root Sports, and I'm paying for whatever ads or whatever sponsorships they have on their show, you know, the player of the game, whatever, and you're telling me that you're not going to change the time of the broadcast when – Every single, like basically, the people who are going to watch that game are going to all be watching another game. That just seems just really bizarre to me. Um, and I don't know what you know the thinking was behind that, but it seems like I don't know who's served by not changing that. I can't imagine it's root sports advertisers or root sports viewers, but I don't know. They made that decision, and everyone had to flip back and forth. And I'm sure they their ratings reflected that, but. I mean I would imagine it's difficult, and they you know have a limited amount of staff and they have to reschedule everything and da 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 but um you know I mean there was three four weeks' notice, so that just was odd to me,
0: yeah, and for a while there it was uh a little bit up in the air as to who would give up more points: the Washington Husky basketball <laughs> defense or the Washington Husky football defense. It wasn't.
1: Uh, yeah, the best tweet I saw was uh, was Huskies win ninety five eighty. Oh, great! had the basketball team do?
0: Yeah, exactly. That's exactly right. That was that was fairly.
1: I you know I watched. Uh, it Was a basketball game. The football game was essentially a basketball.
0: I, I know. I watched. Uh, I watched the Cougars and, and Ducks because I'm, I'm sort of a masochist, but but. Uh, You know, it's, and then I flipped over. You know, it was funny. My, I was watching it with my buddy, and, and then we we were sort of watching the ticker on the bottom. And, and, uh, you know, we were both, you know, completely sure that the Huskies were going to get blown out by Baylor. And then next thing we know, we're kind of watching, we see the halftime score, and it's, it's, uh, you know, 28 21 or whatever it was. And so we flip it over and we start watching the second half. And then, uh, and then that, that, that happened <laughs> you know yeah. i just uh, that's craziness. uh that was craziness so yes i you know i'm totally with you on road night i don't know that i would count on him being able to shoot uh this year i don't know if that's something that develops this year but i mean i think there's i think there's tons of examples of guys um of all of the skills that you can sort of learn and develop as you go throughout a professional career. I, I, I would say, just anecdotally, it seems like shooting is the one um, that you can really develop. I, you know, f- it, I might be wrong on this, but I don't recall, you know, guys like LeBron James being particularly good shooters when when oh, he came no. into the league, but um, you know, has developed into a respectable threat from out there. And that's really all you need. You know, I think that's what Gary Payton developed into was a respectable threat from three.
1: Well, uh, even Jordan, you, you know, never yeah. a great three-point shooter, yeah. but you know, he got to a point where he had to guard him in there. That's all you need. Yep, that's all you need. So,
0: all right. Well, hey, uh, getting ready for another big weekend of Pac-12 basketball, and uh, you know we'll uh, we'll watch it again, and we'll we'll come back at you next week Mm
1: -hmm.
0: with some more some more hard hitting basketball analysis. So, (laughs) on behalf of Seth, I'm Jeff, and our producer Jeff Collier. Thanks a lot for joining us on 18 and Life this week. We'll talk to you next week.